welcome each one of you who have come and joined us today. Excited about the time of year that we have entered into, and I, uh, I'm still enjoying Thanksgiving. I think it's the greatest holiday because nobody makes any money off of it except for the folks that raise turkeys. And so uh, I like to give God praise and thanksgiving for all things. And certainly as we move into our celebration of the uh, incarnation of God becoming a man, uh, we also are very, very thankful. And so they kind of blend, kind of run together to some degree. But we're thankful and grateful for this time of the year. And I think it is worthy of all the celebration that we can uh, can give. It certainly is that great of event. We celebrate the birthdays of a lot of people. If you notice, we got our, our, our elves have been uh, uh, busy uh, for decorating our, our sanctuary and a foyer out there and Tricia and her clan do that. We appreciate that so very, very much, the work that goes into to doing that. And uh, and I want to say a word about our Christmas dinner. I hope that you'll come. Bring somebody with you, okay? It's all right to bring your in-laws and your outlaws. you got some of those too, don't you? And uh, let them come and just uh, be a part of our fellowship uh, that night and introduce them to our our people and let them know that Christians can have fun too. Amen. And so we and we certainly do two things best, and eating's both of them, right? And so it's a it's a it's a festive time. It's a good time that you can bring uh, stuff for your hygiene bags. It used to we back in the day when we had Mother's Day out, we we'd have a nativity up here, and we would actually have each family come in and bring their hygiene bags and lay them. Uh, at the nativity as uh, the wise men did even though we were not all that wise but uh, it was a, I thought it was a, a very special time that we do that and I, I hate that we don't do that anymore but uh, we don't have Mother's Day out and we don't have uh, the big nativity oh. are y'all hearing bells or just me y'all messing with my hearing aids <laughs> It's Jeff, isn't it? Jeff, that's your phone. <laughs> Not yours, okay. Oh, you're just waving your hand, so. Okay, you know, if uh, if your phone goes off, it costs you $50 in the offering plate. It's in the back. <laughs> Amen. Today we're going to talk about the miracle of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the, uh, the city of bread. Uh, from the house of bread came the uh, bread of heaven and certainly we understand that that's where where it took place uh, we read in, uh, different accounts uh, in Luke chapter 1 is one we're going to talk about uh, today as we think of the things that were going to happen there uh, in Bethlehem Luke chapter 1 beginning with verse 26 it says and in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and the angel came in unto her and said hail thou thy art highly favored to the Lord is with thee blessed art thou among women 
And when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation that should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. Angels always said that, didn't they? Uh, Fear not. And if you ever seen an angel, you'd probably need him to say that too. You could probably scare the daylights out of you. For thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, the Lord God, Elion, the God who rules, shall give unto him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end no end and then said mary unto the angel how shall this be seeing i know not a man and the angel answered and he said unto her the holy ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Christmas time. There are a lot of sights and sounds of Christmas. Well, we just look around and we see the sights. All you got to do is go into the mall and you will hear the sounds of the uh, Christmas music. Smells. I don't know what you smell. I asked my wife, I said, what are some of the smells of Christmas? And uh, uh, she said evergreen is a smell. Uh, or gingerbread is a, uh, is a smell. And maybe you have one that uh, uh, comes in your mind as to what. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not a very good smeller, but I had a hard time coming up with those things. But the truth of the matter is the reason for the season, an old cliche, I don't know who thought it up, but it's a good one, is found in the Bible. Amen. And that's where we as God's people go, Jacob, is we go to the Bible, don't we, to find the true meaning for this season. Amen? You can say amen. That's all right. And so there are uh, a lot of unusual births that have taken place uh, in history and even today. Uh, a lot of uh, is caused uh, by uh, these uh, new drug, fertility drugs and and also uh, uh, vitro fertilization uh, causes some weird ones. I was wondering who had the the most babies, and so I looked it up, I googled it. Now I don't know if it's right or not. You know how it is with the internet. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's right. But they were said that this lady by the name of Nadia Sulman was one that had eight children at once that lived. Six boys, 
and two girls. That was in 2009. She lived in California. I don't know what kind of water y'all got out there, but it, it works. And of course, the Bible records some unusual births also. Uh, I think about Sarah and Abraham, who uh, productively should not have had a baby, but God told them, go back in the tent, and you know, we're going to wind her up and give it another try, and sure enough, uh, it came to pass, right? And then we think about Zacharias and Elizabeth, the uh, parents of John the Baptist, also, you know, were beyond the age of having children and bearing children. And lo and behold, you know, God said it, and that's exactly what happened. We know that John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. And so the most miraculous thing that we know, birth, of course, is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The miraculous conception and the birth of Jesus Christ is the most phenomenal miracle of a baby that uh, has ever taken place. A lot of people may you know, think, well, our birth was a, a, a miracle, and certainly some babies that didn't think were going to make it, make it, and they might consider it uh, that. But uh, here we find that uh, the birth of Jesus Christ, the real miracle in my mind, is really the immaculate conception of Jesus. I mean, you know, having a baby, anybody can, I say anybody can have a baby, not everybody can have a baby, but babies are born every day but virgin babies are not heard of never before never since jesus was conceived uh, in a very miraculous way and so we talked last week about the incarnation god becoming flesh and it is the central fact of christianity the incarnation is a central fact of especially our theology uh, everything that we have falls apart, that we believe uh, falls apart if Jesus was not the virgin-born Son of God. You say, why don't you preach this? Don't everybody believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? No, I'm afraid to tell you that they don't. I would tell you there are a lot of preachers that are in pulpits this morning that do not believe that Jesus was the virgin-born Son of God. There are people that stand in Baptist pulpits that don't believe that. That's sad. If you ever go and, and try to join another church, the first thing you ought to ask that preacher is, do you believe in the virgin-born Son of God, Jesus Christ? He says, no, then you need to pack up your bags and you need to go find you another place. And so the incarnation is a central fact. And so the whole superstructure of, of, the, uh, of Christianity and Christian theology rests up on that fact. And so here we find in our text two things. First of all, we see the salutation to Mary. Uh, the salutation to Mary was, of course, by this angel who came, and uh, not only did he salute her, <laughs> uh, but he probably surprised her, and uh, it, it scared her. We could get a whole row S's on that, how she must have felt. We don't really know, but evidently she must have been shaking in her boots as uh, this angel came to her, uh, and as he uh, gave her a, a message. And then, after he had told her that she was going to have this, this virgin-born baby, she uh, submitted to that. And the last verse that we, we wrote, you know, said. And so, 
The question comes for this morning's message is, does the miracle of Bethlehem really matter? Does it really matter? Are we just, are we just blowing in the wind uh, here, Jimmy Lee, when we're talking about the Virgin, is there not something more important this time of the year we could talk about? I don't think so. I think it needs to be included. I think it needs to be believed in our hearts and minds that it was important because there are people out there that don't believe it. There are people that will try to convince you that it's not important. But I believe that it is. Why? Well, I'm going to give you four reasons. Not that that's all of the reasons, but all are you going to allow me time or I'll allow myself time to do this morning. Number one, it's a matter of fulfilled prophecy. A matter of fulfilled prophecy. You know what a prophecy is. A prophecy, someone said, is history written in advance. And so remember in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when the angel appeared to Joseph, he said, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. We, we talked about that last week. We know that this comes from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, where it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And we talked about that last week. And so a lot of people, uh, those that are opponents of the virgin birth, would uh, uh, scholarly people would probably say something like this. I don't believe that uh, Jesus was a virgin because of the word virgin that is used in Isaiah 7.14 is the word Alma. Alma can also be translated young maiden. There probably are, I've never seen one, but I've heard that there are translations that put young maiden in their, their text. But the thing that we need to know is this, okay? Listen real closely, okay? I don't want to confuse you. But this word Alma can be translated young maiden. But in the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Old Testament translated into Greek that was used during the first century. Every time that they translated Alma in the Septuagint, they translated it virgin and not young maiden. Okay, And then every time that it's used in the context within the context it refers to a virgin and not just a young maiden or a young lady and so i think that's one of the things that you can use uh to answer the opponents of uh that uh, that that, uh, that theology of that question and so in matthew chapter one you can go in verse 25 uh, and the angel told him, you know, that uh, he, he knew her not. He knew her not until after she had born Jesus. So there are those that teach that uh, uh, Jesus never had, or that Mary never had any other children. No, she had other children. But it was after Jesus. And she knew not a man until after that. And that's why in Luke chapter 1 and verse 34, if you'll, if you'll look there, if you have your Bibles, it says, Mary said to the angel, 
how shall the this be seen i know not a man that was her surprise how can she be pg or in the family away as we used to say back in the day if she had never had intimate relationships with the man and so she was convinced of the fact in verse 35 gives the answer notice here real closely and the angel answered and said unto her the holy ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of god and so we find that this was prophesied 750 years before the birth of jesus was prophesied that a virgin would conceive would bear a son and he would be called emmanuel and so it came to pass what's the test of a prophet do you know what the test of a prophet is well i'm gonna tell you if you don't know you probably already know but it's, it's got to be uh, it's got to come to pass if, if a prophecy is made and and they uh, and it doesn't come to pass then it's not a true prophecy this came to pass folks it came to pass and they named time after this man jesus for one reason, and that is, is that he was the virgin-born, divine Son of God, according to prophecy. Number two, it's a matter of acceptable sacrifice. Now, when you and I'm going to go into this, but in, in, Act, in First Peter chapter one and verse eighteen, it says, "For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things." We're talking about redemption, redeeming God, redeeming us. As silver and gold from your vain conversation to receive by petition from your father, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, notice that, without blemish and without spot. Now, if you'll go back to the book of Exodus chapter 12 and you read about the Passover lamb. If you remember, the children of Israel were in Egypt. They had all of these plagues trying to get let uh, get Pharaoh to let the people go. And uh, he wouldn't do. He'd get over it. He would, you know, say, all right, I'm going to let you go. Then he'd change his mind. But then Jesus gave them the command to take this young lamb. And it had to be a spotless lamb. And they were set aside for four days. And they examined this thing looking for spots, looking for blemishes before it would be offered. And then they would take it and they would, they would slay this, 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 this animal and they would take the blood and put it over the doorpost. And when the angel of death came through the night to take the firstborn males, those that had the blood were passed over. We sing that old song when i see the blood and so we understand that that was a foreshadow or a type of jesus christ who is the lamb of god he was the spotless lamb of god he was examined we talked about this in sunday school this morning he was examined by everybody he was examined by the jewish authorities and they he was examined 
and they had trumped up charges, no true charges. He was examined by the Roman officials. They couldn't find, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. I, I washed my hands of the deal. God, the Father, he looked at him and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus examined himself and said, which one of you can find sin in me or convinceth me of sin, as it says in King James? Which one of you can find? I, I wouldn't say that to my enemies, let alone my friends. Amen. I mean, you don't have to look very far to find out that I am not perfect. And so we find that Jesus was set aside. Jesus was examined. Then he was taken to the cross. There his rich red royal blood was shed in order that we might be redeemed. I like that old song, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And I'm glad today to tell you that without the blood, there would be no forgiveness of sin. Without the blood, there would be no redemption. Without the blood, there would be no reconciliation. Without the blood, there would be no missing judgment. There would be no uh, making heaven. Without the blood, there would be no use in living because we would be lost and we would be condemned to die. But praise God! Jesus is the Lamb of God. And the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Christ is our Passover. Amen. Can you say amen to that? I'm glad. It's a matter of acceptable sacrifice. If Jesus, listen to me real close here. If Jesus had been born of a man, then he would have inherited the sin nature of man. Romans 5, 12, for as by one man, that was Adam, sin entered into the world and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So it is the male that passes the sin nature. That's why Jesus had to be born of the seed of the woman. Amen. And so remember that. To be this acceptable sacrifice, he had to be without sin. He had to be spotless. And that's why he says here in First Peter that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was the sinless Son of God from day one. Number three. It's a matter of Davidic, language, uh, Davidic lineage here in Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and shalt bring forth his son, a son and shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall be great. And notice this, and be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. And so here we find that Jesus was going to be uh, the uh, inherit one day, he would inherit the throne of David. That's a big deal. David was the most beloved king that Israel ever had. You go to Israel, I don't know, did y'all go in and see the tomb of David? I mean, they got it there. You know, you can go, and I, I guess you can touch it. I didn't try, <laughs> but uh, that was a pretty honorable thing, to stand in awe of the tomb 
of this. I mean, the casket, I mean, it's, you know, it's there. And they got it out. And you just walk right up there uh, within spitting distance of the thing. Uh, David was most revered. And, of course, we know that one day he will sit on that throne of David. And we preached this when we went through the book of Revelation. And he will come and he will rule and reign the world for a thousand years with a rod of iron as he sits upon the throne of David from Jerusalem. What a day that will be. But Jesus qualified himself through the lineage to be that king. None of the other children of Mary had that position. But Jesus did. The virgin born divine son of God. And so remember that. And then the last thing that I would say today is not only is it a matter of fulfilled prophecy, not only uh, is the birth of Jesus the, uh, a matter of acceptable sacrifice and Davidic lineage, but also a matter of saving grace. Saving grace. Verse 31 here of Luke chapter 1. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. You know what the name Jesus, we talked about that last week, means Savior. He is to be the Savior. And we talked last week at how about that God sent his son into the world to be the Savior. To be the Savior. That's our greatest need, folks, is that a Savior would come. The Jews looked for a Savior. They prayed for a Savior. Sad to say, they're still looking for one. You go to the Wailing Wall, they're praying for one. I got news for him. He's already come. He's already been there. And he came and he did what he did. He lived a perfect life. Not only was he born of a virgin, but he lived a spotless life. Not only did he live a spotless life, but he died upon the cross, a sinless son of God who became the Lamb of God in order that we might be saved. And God honored that. And rose him from the, raised him from the grave. And by doing that, he declared him in the book of Romans to be the Son of God. Woo, what a Savior. Why is that important? Because there's no other name in Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus saved. Jesus saves. And I believe he'll save anybody that will come to him in repentance and in faith. I don't believe, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, that God picked out this person and that person and they're going to be saved and the rest of people can't help it. I believe everybody can be saved if they would place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And so understand uh, that to know Christ is a wonderful thing. To know Christ is to be transformed and thus be introduced to a life that cannot be explained any other way or experienced any other way. He comes into your life and he changes your life. And it says, and Paul said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so the miracle of Bethlehem started in Nazareth when 
the Holy Spirit overshadowed a young girl by the name of Mary. And she bore the Savior. Hallelujah. And so we know that Jesus has come. And not only that, we know he's coming again. And not only do we know that, that he lives today to live in your heart and in your life. You know, I remember when I was saved as a 19-year-old boy, the very first Christmas that I had after that. I had Christmas up for 18 years. And then one day I was saved. The next Christmas was totally different. Because the main focus wasn't upon all of the secular things. The main focus was now upon this virgin-born baby named Jesus. It was really all about him. He is the reason for the season, and you find that here. It's the only place you'll find it. It is in the Bible. Would you stand with me? I don't know your heart today. I don't know your life. But I want to know, do you know the Savior? You say, can you know him? Yeah, you can know him. And you can experience a life like no other. You can have a new life, a new start, a fresh life. I found that Christ will take that cosmic loneliness out. He'll make this life make sense. And if you don't, haven't experienced that, I, you know, you may have tried to substitute something. I mean, you can sit in the church house and that won't do it. It's only when we submit and surrender, like Mary did, you know. Let it be, Lord. I submit to what you're saying. We have to surrender to him and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need a Savior and I'm claiming you as my Savior. And at that moment, all your sins will be forgiven. Your name will be written in heaven's book. The Bible says that all heaven will rejoice. Isn't that a wonderful thing? To know the day that you were saved, that heaven broke out in jubilation because there was a new name written in heaven. And that was your name. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, but as many as received him to them gave him, gave him the power to become the sons of God. You can belong to God's family if you would receive him. And if you just give him that personal invitation, he will accept you. He will take you in. He'll clean you up. He'll give you a new life. And thousands of people through the years have found that to be true. And it still works today. It still works today. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this miracle that you performed in order to convince us that Jesus was special. That he came from heaven. In order because he became a man, we who are men can become your sons. I pray, Father, today, if there even be one that's never done that, they've never come with a repentant heart, changing their mind and their attitude to live without you, or maybe they've been pretending that they'd be honest enough today to say, I need a Savior, and fall before your face 
and receive Christ. I will praise you for that. We'll glorify you for that. For other decisions that need to be made. Maybe there's those that have drifted far away from you today. I will invite them to come. Maybe those that need to follow the Lord in baptism, scriptural baptism. I pray, Lord, that you would put that on their hearts and minds today. Forgive us for we fail. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name.